Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Tom Rucker, President, Magna Powertrain, Magna International. On today's episode, Tom and I discuss the building blocks of electrification and what Magna is doing to enable an electric future. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thank you very much, Grayson. Pleasure to be here. I'm super excited to have you here because Magna is an incredible company, but most importantly, Magna plays a very important role in the automotive supply chain. So I can't wait for you to talk about the ex- exceptional role that Magna plays. As the number one, I repeat, number one independent supplier of transmissions in the world, how is Magna preparing for the shift to electrification? Obviously, this is a really uh, timely and important topic for us, Grayson. I think that the shift to electrified powertrain is, is well underway and accelerating. Uh, greatly. Um, we, we are supporting this shift with a very comprehensive portfolio of products. If you think about it, we cover from all the way from 48 volt mild hybrid uh, dual clutch transmissions, which we call them HDTs. We have uh, dedicated hybrid drives for uh, full hybrids, but then we also have a full range of electrified drive units that can cover all segments of full battery electric vehicles that can go from entry-level passenger cars all the way to SUVs and pickup trucks and even light commercial vehicles. So, um, you know, nobody knows exactly uh, how fast things are going to evolve for the next couple of years, but uh, I think flexibility is king and and we're ready to support this shift as best as we can. It's a very wise strategy because if we're seeing the growth of hybrids in America, they jumped 75% in 2020 to a record 801,550 units, which was 5% of all vehicle sales. So I like it from a strategy standpoint. So you're capturing the growing hybrid market while also pairing for the growing EV market there. Very smart. Well, you're looking in from an economic standpoint. Do you see the hybrid market continuing to grow for Magna as as we get through the commodities with the EVs until they come online? It, it definitely, we definitely see that. You could argue, and a lot of people say that that the hybrid market is a transition technology, right, from ICE to battery electric vehicles. But the multi-million dollar question is, how long is that transitional technology going to be there? But just to give you more specific examples, we're just in the middle or at the beginning of a launch of a very high volume mild hybrid HTT, so hybrid dual clutch transmission for two large customers these days. So we're going to see tremendous growth on those programs over the next five to 10 years. We also are offering our uh, dedicated hybrid drives for high voltage uh, hybrids for the global market. And we do see a lot of interest uh, specifically in China, not exclusively, but specifically. And we have product called Intelligent Command that uh, we just demonstrated for the first step to the market in our winter test in February. So, uh, and with this, our customer really liked our electric first approach, which means you have higher electric power, but you also have a combustion engine to avoid range anxiety. So definitely growth in the next couple of years to answer your question. And then you see the, the battery plug hybrid plug-in market 
growing as well since that seems to be a so some oems say 40 miles on battery some oems say 50 some oems say 60. do you see that as that really great growth market as you mentioned rain anxiety so the consumer can go to the grocery store take the children to school start with that and then eventually convert over to full electric definitely growth from where we are today at the end of the day we do see that there's a trend going towards fully battery electric vehicles that is accelerating but from where we are today, and you see it in the growth numbers you just mentioned before, there's absolutely growth in the next couple of years. As you prepare to the shift for full battery electric, what role do the commodity markets play? We saw the nickel squeeze we're seeing in the oil markets going up and down. They've been very erratic recently. From a strategy standpoint, does that have a long and short-term effect on where you're going, Magna, from a company standpoint? Yes and no. I, it does, for sure. Um, we've always lived with changes in material markets and commodities. You know, we saw a huge increase in steel pricing, for example, uh, very recently. Uh, everybody knows about the semiconductor uh, shortage that has impacted the auto industry in the last couple of years and probably will for the next uh, few years. So it's always been a topic. But I think it's uh, amplified a little bit when we talk about electrification. So obviously the, the terrible events, the current uh, war in Ukraine, uh, the resulting sanctions to Russia, but also other geopolitical tensions are, are a good example of this. And, um, you know, what I can say is that we as a company have a global presence and scale. And we have a very vast network of customers and supplier relationships. So, so I think we have been able to navigate through these times better than others, and we're well positioned to, to do that in the future. But also, in addition, there's a ton of innovation happening, and we're in the middle of that, that will introduce alternative materials to substitute some of the uh, commodities that either go into an imbalanced situation from a price or, or from a uh, supply and demand situation. Alternative materials, that's a thats a savvy strategy move. How did that come about? Was it just what you were seeing in the markets preparing for the geopolitical issues that we've seen previously in the Congo and we've seen in Mongolia? Was that just kind of saying, okay, Magna, we're this global company. We're highly respected. Our customers depend on us. We need to figure out a solution. Yeah, I, I think you, you have to, or we try to look at it from a holistic perspective. Um, sustainability is a key uh, word here. And we see sustainability, of course, from an environmental perspective, CO2 emissions and so on and so forth. But we, we look at it also from, you know, how societies and people are, are treated and, and fair practices around the world. So at the end of the day, you, you know, our customers are pushing extremely hard in that direction as well. And, and we're, we're happy about it. We're excited because it's the right thing to do. So there's a, there's a push from a technology perspective just to be more efficient and have better technological solutions. But there's also push to be more sustainable in a big scheme of things. And obviously, there's also push to reduce risk, right? Uh, you know, think about what happened in Japan with the big tsunami and, and the disaster and, and the nuclear plant. There was a large concentration of suppliers in that region, automotive suppliers. And so people started to think, you know, maybe 
we need to localize more, dual source more, start to reduce our risk. We see it today. There's a large uh, supplier in Ukraine, for example, for wire harnesses that's causing a lot of issues. So, so I think um, diversification, localization, risk reduction is going to play a big role. You sound like a CEO of a major insurance company. I give you a lot of credit. <laughs> no, no, no. Because <laughs> you, because you're balancing. The risk and when, sustainability is a topic that comes up a lot um, on this podcast, and it's a very important topic. And when you look at the commodities markets, we've covered this a bit around the track and trace. What is the, what is the carbon output from the minerals? What are the human rights? So that's going to be really interesting. So when you have your customer I'll say, Mr. and Mrs. OEM, okay, here it is. This is we sustainably got these minerals. That becomes another growth market for Magna. And I really appreciate the fact that you're focusing on sustainability. And, and the CEO of Magna put out that very nice letter of the company's commitment uh, to sustainability. And, and looks, looking to the future, sustainability is kind of going to be um, like this envelope that encompasses everything. So you, as you build your electrification business, then you build your autonomy business, sustainability is going to be that envelope that connects everything. We, we touched on electrification, but the other big one that we, we, we're seeing is autonomy. We're having crews operate in San Francisco with no driver. Waymo's now announced today they're operating in San Francisco with no driver in addition to Chandler. How are you preparing for a future with autonomous vehicles? Because we're getting close to the point where these vehicles are going to start to scale pretty quickly. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and, you know, it's a very popular topic because I think, you know, it has this futuristic image that a lot of us have in mind. Uh, and it's becoming reality, actually. It, you know, technically, it has been possible for a while. There are other issues like legislation and other aspects that I think are, are going to take a little bit longer. But, you know, we, we think we're ready and stand ready in our leading uh, for electrification and autonomy and, and really in the combination of those two things. So we, we have been developing core competencies in house uh, at a very accelerated pace. We're partnering with uh, some of the best minds, including startups entrepreneurs, universities, technical specialists, and so on and so forth. And uh, in terms of autonomy, uh, the technology is represented really in advanced driver assistance systems called ADAS, uh, which you know introduce, introduces additional functions step-by-step step to full autonomy. We are one of the very few companies in the world that have a bundle of uh, radar, LiDAR cameras and domain controllers. We're the largest uh, front camera, um, uh, rear, rear camera, sorry, supplier in the world. And we utilize these elements in conjunction with the electrified powertrain to offer the next level of powertrain controls. And, and I want to give you a couple of examples of that. You know, think about predictive deployment of uh, braking or an all-wheel drive system, right? So with uh, ADAS, and uh, you could understand what the driving abilities uh, of you know your customer or, or the person that is driving your vehicle are, and you could anticipate how he's going to react to a certain situation that you see with your ADAS system, and then preemptively activate your all-wheel drive system. So, so that that is a good example that uh, we already have. Uh, implemented. And uh, one other thing to keep in mind is that we're the only supplier in the world that engineers and builds complete vehicles, right? So this unique approach allows us to support 
uh, both traditional customers, but very importantly, also new entrants in a very unique way, because we don't only look at the electric drive unit or the all-wheel drive or the camera or the lighter. We'll look at the software that integrates everything together and helps us in that direction of autonomy. The fun part about that is you got to learn a lot. When you're, when you're sitting there, you have your traditional larger OEMs, then you have your, your startup and entrepreneurs from your the engineers and your team. It's got to be like this fun learning experience. Uh, absolutely. And, and listen, you know, I know it, it may be counterintuitive for a lot of young people to think of automotive industry as something fun and exciting and future oriented. But it is. It is. I mean, there's a lot of people that have said that the car is probably the most complex industrial product out there and uh, the possibilities that come with electrification and autonomy are, are endless so it's it's absolutely exciting and, and we have a lot of uh, engineers out there that are that are really thrilled with the, the opportunities they have to create an exciting future that's fun but it also helps our sustainability um, efforts overall it's an exciting future to pause the future. And then you're sitting there, you're driving out. Oh, I worked on that car. I engineered that powertrain. It's that, it's that sense of pride and their, their kids are in the back. Oh, daddy worked on this. Mommy worked on that. It becomes this fun game where the kids play I Spy. Okay, let's I Spy the car that daddy built. Okay, and it becomes this, this fun game. So you put together electrification with autonomy and with world-class powertrains. What role will Magna powertrains play in that future as autonomy and electrification begin to scale and commercialize? Yeah, and before I answer that question, I was smiling when you were mentioning. Um, <laughs> it's funny. So my very first job with Magna 20-something years ago was in Mexico, and we were doing rear suspension modules and sequencing to General Motors. So if you remember the beautiful Pontiac Aztec, uh, we did this aluminum rear suspension, which is very visible from the back of the car. So still today, whenever I see one of those on the road, I turn around, talk to my kids, say, hey, I made that axle. <laughs> and uh, they think I'm crazy, but it's uh, it's just fun. It's just fun to see You're something. You're still playing the ice bike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, coming back to your question, I think, uh, you know, we are transforming ourselves uh, from the market leader in transmissions and four-wheel drive, four-wheel drive systems into the market leader of... Uh, powertrain solutions at all levels. And how we're trying to do this is to develop higher level systems that uh, cover overall powertrain connectivity, combining several drive units. You could have one in the front and the back. We are actually launching a vehicle that has four uh, e-drive units and electric motors, inverters, software, as well as the transmission technologies, including torque vectoring and decoupling functions, for example. Wow. So I, I want to dive into put my engineering hat on here for a minute. What role will the e-intelligent reach powertrain play? Will that be one of your key solutions for your customers? Absolutely. And uh, we're really proud of the intelligent reach. Uh, we we um, showed it for the first time in winter test uh, last year, and then we have a new generation this year. But it really represents all these competence fields that I talked about before, that we can use on battery electric uh, powertrain systems, and, and how we combine it with smart software to, to 
create a, a great driving experience that's uh, best in class in terms of safety, efficiency. And um, we're actually, it's not only a dream of ours, but we'll be launching the first production application of the system later this year. You mentioned software. Software, I'm assuming, has to play a, a key role. Is it the software combined with the with the intelligent reach powertrain, which gives you advantage over your competitors? I, I, I would think so. It's, it's a combination of different things, right? You, you can be very good at individual components and the hardware of it, right? You can have a very efficient uh, electric motor or inverter. But at the end of the day, and especially with eDrive units, is how to combine those different elements and integrate them into the um, functioning and the driver strategy of the vehicle. We have seen cases, you know, we have this building block strategy. So you could use the same e-drive for different applications. And we see that the same hardware can be addressed in completely different ways by different customers, right? One has more emphasis on driving dynamics, for example, and one has more emphasis on you know, stability or, or efficiency. And and software is that element that can fine-tune your hardware and make it work uh, exactly in the way the customer wants. I'll put it in simple terms. You're optimizing the solution for your customer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ab- absolutely. And, and, you know, our customers, you still want a specific identity, right, for their brands and for their vehicles. Uh, I think it's you know obvious that uh, what those identities are in the different brands, and, and we absolutely work with our customers to maximize that feeling and create that differentiation. As you build your competitive advantage, what role does Magnus Decoupling Plus technology play in that? The decoupling technology, I think, is really significant. It's not a new technology per se, so we we have been using decoupling elements in our traditional transmission and transfer case and, and all-wheel drive couplings for, for many years, decades, I would say. But the um, name of the game on electrified vehicles is, is efficiency, right? The more efficient you are, the smaller you can make the battery, the lighter your overall vehicle will be and, and the bigger the range uh, you will have. So we, we have measured up to 9% of range improvement that can be achieved by leveraging the uh, connectivity, intelligent operating software, and our highly capable disconnect system that is integrated into the secondary drive. And staying on the, the efficiency front, how do you see battery density evolving? As Magna, we, are, we have made the conscious decision that we're not going into the manufacturing of the battery cell per se. And there's a clear expectation that battery density will continue to improve exponentially within this decade. And you can, for example, look at what Tesla mentioned in their battery day event last year, I believe, which is a public event, so so you can read about it. And so, so there are pretty high expectations in terms of improving battery density, but as I said before, we're not into the battery cell manufacturing, but we think we can influence and extend the efficiency of battery in many different ways. One is the integration of the battery into the chassis 
is a key enabler for higher power density and mass reduction. So you want to combine structure elements with a battery casing and reduce weight of the overall vehicle. And we um, going to be, from what I can see today, one of the larger suppliers uh, that that uh, will be in production with these type of, of uh, systems. But in addition, it's also elements like the drive units, the battery weight, the thermal management, and the software again, of how all of this work together that I think make us stand out also with what I mentioned before, our ability to design and engineer complete and understand the complete vehicle and how these different elements work together to improve efficiency. Magnus clearly well prepared. So you're doing really great work for your OEMs, then your OEMs customers are the buyers of the vehicles or the leases of the vehicles. As battery density gets better, when do we get to a point where range anxiety starts to go away? Is that kind of when it goes from the front seat to the back seat? When do you think we, we, we achieve that? Hard to say. Um, I, I, would, I would probably say that, you know, we're already technically at a point where you can get the same range out of a battery electric vehicle than out of a traditional ICE vehicle, right? I, I don't think that should be the issue anymore. The question is, um, you know, once you once your range is exhausted, how convenient, easy, and fast can you recharge, right? So today you you just go into one of the gazillion gas stations and and basically replenish your range in what sixty seconds, ninety seconds. So so I think infrastructure is going to be huge. Obviously, as everybody knows, there's there's a massive investment going on all over the world to increase infrastructure for charging. But I also think uh, seamless end-to-end functions for assisted charging are going to be really important that supports a customer in terms of when, where, and how they can utilize that infrastructure for the best uh, convenience and reduce efforts for planning and selection uh, to improve the acceptance of the whole ecosystem. So we have, for example, a software that would guide a driver on a longer trip. And you could, for example, say, hey, I want to charge my car with the least amount or, or actually carbon neutral, right? So I'm only going to charge my car on charging stations that use renewable energies, just as one possible example. That's really Smart. You're, you're seeing that Re- renewable energy is really the future of this. And if a consumer wants to go, say, from uh, New York City to Baltimore, for example, and they want to charge a renewable, if you have the option where they can do that, that's something they'll, they'll do. To me, the biggest issue around the infrastructure is the uptime. If you look on some of the various charging apps or websites and the chargers that are down, once we can overcome that, where the consumer has the confidence, where if you're going to go from New York City to Baltimore, the charging infrastructure is going to work. Because if you go today in a traditional ICE vehicle, you know that you're going to find a gas station that's going to have gas and you'll you'll put it in your go. So very well set on infrastructure. That's a topic that hopefully more individuals publicly start to talk about and then we can get over over that hump. Because Magna's clearly preparing for the, the future of electrification. Because by 2023, Magna's projecting that 50% of the vehicles and manufacturers will be electric. Is this growth coming from OEMs? Is it coming from startups? Where's that growth coming from? Because that's a pretty pretty big growth number on Magnus' part. Yeah. So, 
you know, there's obviously tons of experts that are trying to predict exactly what's going to happen, and and we we take that input from from uh, you know forecasting services and experts, but we also try to develop our own uh, scenario and and uh, fleet analysis. So we see that you know minimum of forty five percent of vehicles by twenty thirty will be electrified. And what we mean with that, it's still a mix in terms of battery electric vehicles and high voltage hybrids, right? So at the end of the day, I firmly believe that depending on legislation, depending on geography, on consumer preferences, there will be a mix of these different technologies. I don't think there's going to be a one-fits-all solution. And that's exactly why our flexible, scalable building block strategy, I think, is, is the right one. Now, back to your question, is it going to be the traditional or the new entrance? Again, <laughs> I think it's going to be both. I don't think all of the new entrants out there are going to make it. Uh, I think there's going to be a certain consolidation in the market. But obviously, we see from very successful, I mean, Tesla, clearly everybody understands. They just started production out of their uh, factory in, in Germany, in Berlin. And once their China factory comes on board, they're, they're going to be actually producing more vehicles than some of the traditional OEMs, right? So it's not only a niche product anymore. And um, so I, I think it's going to be a good mix. And I think a lot of these new entrants will capture a good market share and, and uh, absolutely make it to become mainstream in the near future. Tesla brought electrification, electric vehicles, mainstream. And if the traditional OEMs and the startups can learn a lot from Tesla, there's two things that I look at Tesla that they've done better than anybody is the charging network, where they know the confidence when you're in your Tesla, it automatically connects to the supercharger network. But then on the business side, when we're going back to commodities, they've been able to secure raw earth materials that nobody else has been able to secure. We have the nickel news today. They're not getting squeezed by the prices. They've secured it through, through Val. Go Tesla. All those strategies that, that they're putting there. And then um, about 20 minutes ago, we had breaking news here in America from the White House that the uh, Biden administration is going to look at opening up minerals here in the United States. So that's a very positive. So we get the minerals coming on the United States and we can get the refining coming on. We're going to an electrification future and it's only going to accelerate. So thank you for, for pointing out the legislation. So as the market dynamics shift and change, there's still the ice market. Ice market is still a big part of your uh, your overall business. How do you support the need to support Magnus traditional ice powertrain business while staying focused on the future, which we discussed as electrification? Yeah, I, I think that's the balancing act Tesla doesn't have to do, right? Because they, <laughs> they don't do ice. But most of our customers, traditional and, and basically all of us, the suppliers have to balance those two worlds. And, you know, let's not forget, I just talked about 45% electrified vehicles 2030. That means still 55% ice driven, right? That's a huge number. So we, we uh, in our mind, uh, should not and, and will not dismiss our, our ice products and technologies. Our approach is to stay flexible between those two technologies. And really what we do is, uh, I mentioned it before, these uh, scalable building blocks. So we, we 
defined 14 building, well, really originally 11 building blocks, with which a combination of those we could put together and assemble any product within Powertrain. So a manual transmission, a DCT, or a transfer case. And then we added three building blocks, meaning electric motors, inverters, and software. And with those, think about a, a dual clutch transmission, right? We integrated an inverter and electric motor within the same envelope of that transmission and converted it into electrified product. And a lot of the installed assets that we have today for shafts and gears and housing manufacturing are, are actually transferable between an e-drive and a transmission. So I think we're very well prepared to balance between those two worlds. Uh, for we believe the next 10 to 15 years until we come into an all electric future. I love the building blocks analogy. I had wooden blocks as a kid and would build stuff. And my daughter today, she's big into Legos. It's a very similar analogy of, of building these wonderful, cool adventures. And if you don't like that, oh, we can rebuild it here. So well done on the building block strategy. Tom, you lived and worked in, in multiple countries. You have an incredible multicultural background. How is that helping you manage during this transition period from understanding different cultures? I, I think it, it doesn't hurt, right? Sometimes when I talk to my kids that had to live in five different countries as they were growing up, they say it did hurt. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, from a business perspective, you know, we, we live in a global economy. Our customers are all global. And they expect us to have a certain level of standardization and, and quality and service and capabilities, no matter if we're in Shanghai or in Sao Paulo or in Detroit or in Munich, right? So, so I think, but, but still, ultimately, you know, sometimes it's important to have a technology or a technical conversation or, or just a friendly debate with your customers in their own native language. Um, so that helps. And then I think it's also important to be comfortable visiting different countries, different markets to understand what the customers need, the end customers, I mean now, because, because the requirements are totally different uh, from India to Austria, for example. So I think um, broaden your horizon and, and, and being comfortable in, in understanding what different regions of the world need uh, only helps us uh, making a better, more customized product. Well said. And as we, we look to the future, what is the future of the Magna powertrain? Our goal is to be the number one supplier in the world for electrified uh, vehicles in terms of bringing power to the wheels. But I think it goes beyond that. As Magna, we have a vision to enable global mobility for everything and everyone. Uh, again, this goes beyond the traditional passenger vehicle market. So you can think new mobility, we we're just talking about autonomy vehicles for delivery, for example. You can talk micro mobility like uh, e-scooters. You can think about reoccurring revenue streams with over-the-air updates. I mean, you could think of Maybe I only pay for my all-wheel drive system for um, when I'm actually using it, right? You know, I know that's future vision, but uh, I, I think that's absolutely possible. So I see us as a successful global technology company, which is able to drive change in our industry 
that is supporting uh, local customer needs and helping to protect our environment at the same time. You're 100% correct about new business models. We don't know what the business models of the future will be. So that goes back to your building block strategy of being flexible. And Tom, as we look to wrap up this super insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? For me, the, the important message, uh, you know, is that the automotive industry is going through the most radical transformation in its history. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, but we should not be afraid. On the contrary, the possibilities are endless and incredibly exciting. We can drive real impact to become carbon neutral, reduce emissions, enable mobility for everyone and everything, and at the same time, increase safety, but also fun and excitement at the same time. Some of these uh, vehicles that we are presenting in our winter test, for example, that their capabilities are amazing. I mean, I've never seen so many customers go out of a vehicle with a big smile on their face. And uh, so, so I think that's the message, right? That the future is exciting. We can do good things uh, without sacrificing functionality and fun at the same time. Smiles are wonderful and exciting future is wonderful because the possibilities are endless because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today and the future is magna. Tom, thank you so much for coming on SAE tomorrow today. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much and hope to do this anytime soon. Thank you for listening to SAE tomorrow today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week when we sit down with Tom Prevost, Air Taxi Product Lead at Joby Aviation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.